The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff. I'm the Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary. I'm also the host of the podcast, and it is my extreme pleasure and privilege to welcome into the studio one who is quite familiar with the studio, Pastor Bill Hill, former host of the podcast. Bill, thank you for joining me. Zach, thank you. Uh, We were jokingly going to reverse our roles for a few minutes to throw you listeners off, but, um, well, I said no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm disappointed he said no. I thought it was a good idea. Have him do the opening and and, and give you all uh, a little flashback to darker or brighter days, depending upon your disposition and perspective. Yeah, well, I, I want to point out that what he said we in the studio, he's got a much better studio than I had when I was a student in doing the podcast. That's true. My microphones are a little bit better. I think some of you have noticed that and, and made comment to me. Anyway, I have Bill in the studio with us. For those of you who don't know him, because he is not only the former podcast host, but also a graduate of Greenville Seminary. He graduated with his bachelor's and divinity in 2016 and since he has been pastoring in the PCA he's currently the pastor of Fellowship Presbyterian Church in Newport Tennessee and he is the subject of this month's graduate spotlight i'm excited to have him in the studio because he brings a perspective of a small church pastor and though most pastors in our denominations that we serve are in fact small church pastors they don't get a lot of press usually the attention is directed toward men who are the pastors of big steeple pulpits and, and, and other churches, which, though they're important and though we thank the Lord for them and the ministry that goes forth from those places, uh, we also don't want to neglect the pastors of, of more humble pastures. So, Bill, again, I thank you for joining me, and I want to kick off our time together by figuring out why in the world you went to Greenville Seminary. What drew you here? Maybe our listeners haven't heard this story before. Well, some of them probably have, Zach, but um, many probably haven't, and it is Interesting. Uh, growing up in Western New York, um, why a Southern Seminary? Well, it, it, in God's providence, we we moved to Virginia in 1998. Uh, we got plugged into a very strong PCA church, Emanuel Presbyterian Church in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, at that point, I began to seriously consider uh, a possible call to the ministry, though I didn't know, uh, and I don't think you ever know until you are called actually formally by a church. Uh, But when I had indicated that to the session there, um, they put me through the paces, as it were, tested my gifts, and then insisted I go to Greenville. So um, that's where I went. Um, I knew a little bit about Greenville at the time, knew that uh, they were strongly confessional, which is what I wanted, Uh, very committed to training men, taking their gifts, their raw gifts that the Spirit had given to them, and and sharpening them and and making them useful and effective, especially in the pulpit, uh, which is the primary job of the pastor, and that is to preach the Word of God. And so I was very excited, but I started as a distance student, like like some of our the current students and those I went to school with, uh, but became frustrated with the process, not because of the system itself at the school, just because of me. And, and I knew that in order for me to really uh, throw myself into the training uh, for the ministry, I needed to be in the middle of it. I needed to be in the school. 
What I appreciate about what drew you to Greenville Seminary is that you were drawn for all the right reasons. A session recommended you to Greenville. This wasn't an individualistic choice by any stretch of the imagination. You were drawn to our emphasis on preaching which is in the core of our mission, equipping preachers, pastors, and churchmen. And here our students are taught in all of our classes that preaching is at the hub of everything we do and everything else in the life of the church flows from that counseling, um, visitation, worship leadership, everything else. But also that you were able to start with us, even by distance, because of how much we value accessibility. That though you didn't have an undergraduate degree already, you were able to jump right into a fully-fledged divinity program accepted by the PCA, and uh, you were able to make strides toward that which God had called you. And so I I appreciate all of that. Um, Now, how has your education at Greenville served you in, in, in where you are now? Or maybe we should back up first. While you were here at Greenville, especially after you moved here, um, you were being equipped for the ministry. How did you train for the ministry? What were you doing in local churches, local to the seminary? When we first uh, moved here, I'd already heard of a, a church, uh, a, a previous graduate, Ryan Speck, and one of our professors, Ryan McGraw, Dr. McGraw, um, had attended uh, Calvary Presbyterian Church. The pastor was at that time was Deckard Stevens. The church is sadly now closed, but... Um, it was still up, running, functioning, and they had recommended, well, at least Ryan Speck had recommended that I go to Calvary. It, and so in respect to him, I said I'd check it out. And when I went the first week I was there, I knew that was where I needed to be. It was small church, but I wanted to help in whatever way I could a man who was a small church pastor struggling to, to do the work of the ministry and pretty much by himself. And so I had a great deal of opportunity to do many things, including vacuum floors, and clean bathrooms, rake leaves, and do a lot of things that, frankly, if you're a seminary student training for the ministry, if you're not willing to do, then you probably should find another job. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's about service. It's not about being lauded and applauded, but it's about service. And so so I was there for, um, well, let's see, that'd be 2012. I was probably a member there for a year. And then... Um, then became a ruling elder there at the church for the balance of my time in the seminary. So now I had both sides of the training, as it were, outside the seminary. I had the membership being a member, and now I'm responsible as a ruling elder uh, to help uh, help with the membership and shepherding God the, the sheep there. So it was great in many different respects because then I was able to also participate in presbytery as well as at General Assembly and see the inner workings of the of, of our church polity and the, and the church courts. And so I had a really well-rounded um, training outside the seminary. If you want to call it training, I, I guess that's a good word. But <clears throat> On the job training, that's for sure. It was. So it, so it was good to be plugged into a church, and, it, and it's, need, it's necessary, it's needful. And um, oftentimes guys go in, they're seminary students, they go in to churches and forget they're just seminary students, and it's okay to just be a seminary student. And, and learn from other guys who have been doing it a lot longer. And so it was a good learning experience on that front as well. So, yep. You got to flex your muscles a little bit, condition a bit, and, a also, and also learn quite got a bit. Got shot down a few times. Too. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Listen, if you're not willing to get shot down in the context right. of local church yeah. decision-making, yeah. then you, you really need to find yeah, another right. job. That's Am I right. right? That's right. Oh, that's good. And then uh, that wasn't the only thing that you did in terms of training. Uh, if memory serves me right, you ended up doing stated supply yep. at a church for a period of time before you graduated. Yeah, I was... Uh, 
I started actually exhorting um, in my first year, which is not normally recommended by the seminary. Um, they usually want the students, at least they used to do it this way, uh, but they usually want the students to wait till they had their at least their first homiletics class. And by exhorting, um, you mean that you were uh, preaching? Preaching, yeah. But it, it's what we call it when you're doing it without licensure. Yeah, you're not right. Well, no, when you're not ordained. Before you're ordained. Yeah, yeah. before you're ordained. So, in my first year, I, I, I started occasionally doing so. In fact, I had the privilege of, of exhorting in Dr. McGraw's church in Conway, South Carolina, five or six different times. So, so that was a great experience. Um, and it was and thankful for that congregation. They were patient with first-year seminary student, didn't really know what he was doing at all. And um, But then as, that, as my time here kept going forward, uh, eventually uh, I, I began to frequent a church in North Carolina, um, and that turned into a stated supply position after I was licensed by Western Carolina Presbytery. And that became a year-long stated supply position, which then turned into a call, which is a great, it worked out really well. And um, so I had that going on during seminary. I was state of supply uh, and I was um, a seminary student and also worked at the seminary. So I had basically three jobs um, for the last two and a half years of my time here. I know nothing so, about that kind no, of not at all. situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's tongue in cheek. Yes, it is. <laughs> Well, that's you know that that's the one of the, the the nice things about Greenville is there's always something to do and always something that needs to be done and so you find out um, you know who wants to chip in and help out to make the thing make it work. Um, that's one of the reasons why the costs of the school are, are lower than most. There's a great feed for you, <laughs> but it's true. Um, we don't have the overhead that a lot of other seminaries have, and or the seminary doesn't have. See, I'm talking like a host again. Um, but it, it, but it's uh, everybody wears different hats here. And one of the things I want I want our listeners to take away, Bill, is that when you're at Greenville Seminary, the faculty, the board, um, the student body as a whole recognizes that there's only so much you can learn in a classroom. Right. And though the learning's great and it's necessary, and and especially if you're able to immerse yourself in it, it's going to greatly benefit you for decades of ministry afterwards. The action is in the local church. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, what Dr. Smith uh, sought to inculcate here. It's what the current faculty seek to inculcate here is that uh, is this attitude that if you're not in the church, you're not in it. And nope. so our men are required to not merely attend a local church, but to be really as involved as the church invites you to be. Yeah, it's a very good point. The seminary is not the church. The church is the church. And so fully believe in the divine right of the church, which I do, um, and I know the seminary does, that that's where it is. That's where, the, if that's where Christ's authority is invested in, on this earth now. The seminary is a tool of the church, and, it's a, and it helps the church. And I know Greenville Seminary is very, very committed to that. And they're training men, as they trained me, uh, to go into the church, to minister in the church, to shepherd the people of God, to work side by side with them, to preach his word and to bring glory uh, to the one who ha- who is the king and head of the church. So it's a very important point, and that's why Greenville, as you said, is so committed to, to getting their students involved in a local church here. Now, obviously you know, you probably are going to say this, but I'll say it. Greenville's not short of churches, especially PCA churches. Um, there's plenty of them. 
And so there's, you have options to labor, to work, small church, big church, whatever the case may be, but you have plenty of opportunity to labor in the church here in this area. So it's a great place to come to school because of that reason. You're going to get the on-the-job training, as it were, and, um, and you're going to get the education to marry up with that as well. So, and that's what I benefited from tremendously. It wasn't just a theory, but it was practiced. I, I left the building as a ruling elder. Of course, I had more involvement than maybe some of the stu- other students did. But I'd leave the building and I'd have to deal with and work with a session, a church, and people doing what I was being taught in classrooms, and it helped cement it in a much better way. And in my conversations with alumni, be it on the graduate spotlight or, or offline, mm-hmm. just casual conversations, again and again, what I've heard is how appreciative they are of the opportunities they had to be part of healthy churches that were good examples to them in Greenville, or conversely, to be great helps to churches that were struggling yep. for whatever reason, because of size, numbers, or, or, or issues that were going on, and they were able to be there and to be a resource to them. I know for my wife and I, the hardest decision we had to make when we first arrived here was was to figure out what church to go to. It was not a, it was not a problem to find a church. No. Literally, you could you could put on a blindfold and start walking down the street. You'd yeah. find a church, no Throw problem. Throw a stick in the air, it'll land on a PCA church or an ambulance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a bar. I borrowed that from what people say about New York City. You throw a stick in the air, it lands on an ambulance or a cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's true here. Um, you will have no trouble finding a church, but picking a church might be a bit more difficult because of how plentiful the options are. But the Lord will lead you. And, and he was faithful to do that for us. He's faithful to do that for Bill. And he's faithful to do that for all of our students as they seek to serve the bride of Christ mm-hmm. in the way that they're called to. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill, what was the most valuable? This is we'll go back to that previous question. What was the most uh, or how did Greenville prepare you or equip you to enter into the ministry that the Lord has called you to? That's a hard question to answer, to be honest. There's just so many different ways to approach that question. Um, and I'm going to answer it probably in a way you're not expecting or anybody that's listening. I think one of the things that helped me at Greenville certainly had a lot to do with the classes. There's no question about that. And I'll highlight a couple of classes that I thought were very helpful for me in a minute. But I think what helped me mostly was just an overall growth as a Christian, period. Being around um, men who I respected, um, who would take the time with me on any number of issues. And it was just the whole process, not just merely one class, not merely one event, not merely one experience. It was the whole process. I was, I took five years to finish. The whole process sanctified, was the Lord used to sanctify me and, and, and equip me in ways for the pastorate that I did not expect at all to happen. Here's what I expected. I'd come to school, I'd get my head filled up with a lot of stuff that I needed so that I could faithfully preach the Word of God and, and interpret the Word of God and, 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 and minister the Word of God to people. That's what I expected to happen. And But what did happen is the Lord began to chop away pieces of my character that were not all that winsome or helpful and used that time to mold me more and more into what I ought to be like, not perfectly indeed, but in, in a more consistent fashion, uh, not just as a minister, but as a Christian. And, and so it's very important. It was very helpful for me in that respect that I am a Christian first. I happen to be a minister. 
but I'm a Christian. And so that was the big process of the five years here. That that was one of the big influences, being around men who were modeling that in front of me. They weren't necessarily saying it using words, though they did do that. But it was that the words were married up with action and encouragement and sometimes rebuke. I remember a few of those specific occasions. Um, but those things were used tremendously for me to just to mold me in my godliness. And I certainly have a long way to go, but it's just that was a big influence. Um, now, as far as classes, individual classes that were extremely helpful, I, Dr. Morales' biblical theology classes, you could ask him if he were here. He did, he'd probably remember me uh, first week of BT. Um, I was the objector in the room. I, I was squeamish about the whole process. I didn't understand it. I didn't. It was brand new to me. Um, I'd been a systematic theology guy my whole life, and it just seemed so different. But as he patiently instructed through this, through the material that he was bringing to us, I mean, I just fell in love with it and began to see the Bible opened up in ways that I had never seen before. And I'd read the Bible many times. I was just blown away. And realizing that I was actually doing all those things that he was teaching us as I was exhorting from church to church to church and doing pulpit supply, I was actually doing all those things. I just didn't know it. Then when I saw that I was doing it, now I'm looking for it all the time and much more aware of it. What kind of things do you mean? Identifying themes and motifs? Yep. And themes and motifs in the scriptures. I can give you an example. I just finished pre- I'm preaching through Mark, and I just finished a, a, the sermon where Jesus walks on the water. And um, in Mark's passage, Jesus goes into the mountain to pray. The disciples are there in the middle of the night rolling across the Sea of Galilee, and they're in peril. And these are fishermen in peril. It must have been pretty bad. They, they've experienced this before. And, and Jesus is aware of the fact that there they are... Uh, in peril, but he's on the mountain, first clue. And so he comes to rescue, as it were, his disciples, but Mark tells us this very peculiar thing, and he says, intending to pass by them, and you read that and you think, well, if he's going to rescue the disciples, why would he pass by them? What's, it, what's he doing? Well, the language is, it comes right out of Moses' interaction with, with God on the mountain, where there he wants to see Yahweh, he wants to see Jehovah in all of his glory. And what does God say? No man can see my face and live. So he hides him in the cleft of the rock, and passing by him, he sees his backsides, he sees his glory from, the, from behind. And what Jesus is there is doing is he is basically uh, the fulfillment of this event that Moses went through. He is playing that out before his disciples to pull back the human veil and to show the disciples some of his glory there on the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night, no less. And so... You know, those are things that I never would have ever noticed before. So it's, it aided my preaching tremendously. Um, so that, that's one class. I ate that up like it was candy once I got over my own inhibitions of it. Um, the systematic classes were great. Uh, you know, Dr. McGraw and Dr. Piper, you're they're really unmatched in my opinion. Um, but I think the other classes that were tremendously valuable to me were the homiletics classes. I mean, challenged in every direction you can imagine uh, to preach the Word of God faithfully in an organized fashion so that the people come in the, come and hear you preach, they're not more confused at the end of the sermon than they were before the sermon. Um, and the serious nature of how it was presented, i.e., this is not fun and games, we're not up there to entertain the, group, the, the crowd. We're, this is a serious thing, and we need to preach it that way and handle it carefully. And so it was wonderful to have those times of critique and they were uncomfortable at times, maybe a little embarrassing at times. 
but it was all designed out of love to help the student when it really matters. Those were laboratory experiences, and I had to get over that, that fact, you know, this is not real, this is just a lab. But once, once you get through the critiques and you hear the comments that are being made and you realize you, know, you do do that or you should do this, and you start employing, once you get out there and you're actually doing it, you're really thankful that you've had that instruction because better a professor tell you, hey, you're really weak in this area than a member who won't tell you just not come back, not grow, not benefit from the preaching of God's word. So it's, it's helpful. It was more than helpful. It was, it was really um, very, very profitable long-term. The language classes were great, of course. I use them every day, so very important to the ministry. Um, so it's very difficult just to pin down one, I think, but I think you know, long-term or the big picture view here for me anyway was just being in the middle of a community that was committed to the reformed faith committed to the confessions but committed to godliness it mattered more to me frankly than a lot of the other things that happened um in a sense i grew up in ways i probably would not have had i not come as a student here not to say anything against the distance program, anything like that. I'm not doing that. But to say that but being here gave me more of a well-rounded understanding of what I was training to do um, than I personally would have got otherwise. Now, that's just me. Somebody else may differ on that, but that's, that's where I was. And to give some numbers for our listeners, and currently our curriculum has in the Old Testament department six BT courses because the two exegesis classes are effectively BT. Right, those changed. Sadly, they changed right the year after I graduated. So after Bill graduated, we added more to the curriculum for two reasons. One is because our faculty recognize the value of biblical theology. Mm. But the second one really has to do more with our times, and that is guys were coming in with a lower and lower levels of biblical literacy, and so they needed uh, this extra immersion in the Word in order to get up to the level where not only are they going to pass licensure and ordination exams, but able to faithfully divide the Mm. Word of Truth Mm -hmm. for the the benefit and good of their people and for the glory of God. So in the Old Testament, you're taking courses on the Pentateuch, on history and poets, on the prophets, so you're covering every book of the Old Testament, as well as two Hebrew exegesis classes, which uh, are drawing out of biblical theology, and then an OTBT course uh, as well that, that really sets you up then to dive into NTBT, New Testament Biblical Theology. And in New Testament, in addition to that course, you also have Gospels and Acts, Pauline Epistles, Hebrews to Revelation, and Advanced Biblical Exegesis, which again is like another BT class. So Greenville historically has not had that emphasis on on biblical theology, and that has we recognize been one of our weaknesses, but but with Dr. Morales's help and with the with the support of the rest of the faculty and our board, we're seeking to address and I think we largely have yep. and and it's only growing stronger and it's an exciting time to be here as a result in the homiletics department we have three courses under the heading of applied theology intro to homiletics with Breno Macedo it's an excellent course supremely helpful and then homiletics practicum one with dr pipa or no dr mcgraw rather and that's going through the old testament and then homiletics practicum two with dr pipa where you're handling new testament texts and uh, these set you up for your senior sermon as well yeah it's funny you mentioned the, the homiletics practicum 
with Breno and Dr. Piper. I'm one of the I'm one of the few students. I think I can say this in all with safety. I might be wrong, but I, I think this is a safe statement. I'm one of the few students that actually had Dr. Piper for all three. Now that may be a weakness or a strength. I don't know. I, I saw it as a great strength because he was able to see my development from the beginning. It was like he birthed this child in in intro to homiletics and then get to homiletics too. And he's like, there's the end result. There's the product. And and so I was he he knew my strengths, my weaknesses, my idiosyncrasies, my quirks, all of it as I'm preaching. And he'd see that I was making adjustments. I was correcting based on his critique, based on his suggestions. And he'd see so, where you weren't. And he could see my weakness. <laughs> One of the things that he would often tell me, and it's probably true. I didn't understand it then, but I think I'm beginning to understand it more now. He used to always tell me how wordy I am. I guess I can be. Anyway, that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> I think I remember you saying that phrase, that's a podcast for another day a lot when you were the host. That's why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the illusions. That's yeah. Well, anyway. No, it, it was a great experience. But like I said, I think the biggest, the biggest, chance, the biggest benefit for me was just being here and, and being immersed around, around the experience. The classes were great. I, I expected that, frankly. I expected the classes to be great. It was everything else I didn't expect that was more beneficial, I think, long-term than just the information I was receiving day-to-day um, -day in the lectures and the classes. And, Bill, at this point, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about the seminary. Of course, I love talking about the seminary, or else I wouldn't do what I do as podcast host, advancement guy, and admissions guy. And student. And student, of course. But I, I want to talk a little bit about your current call, your sure. church out in, uh, in Newport, Tennessee. Tell us about the the environment and, and, and about fellowship and, and the people there. Um, what what characterizes your ministry uh, in that community, brother? It's my second call. Um, mentioned earlier that I, I, I was uh, called at a church where I was stated supply. They called me. Um, but anyway, this is my second pastorate. Um, I went there in August. Sorry, I am 52, so I get some leeway. <laughs> August of 2017. So I've been there. I'm in my 10th month, month I guess, if my math is correct. Um, it is a, a small town in, in, in Tennessee, Newport. It's about 45 miles from Gatlinburg, so it's very heavily trafficked as far as tourism, and which is great because we get people from all over the country. In fact, uh, we'll get people to visit, that visit the church that uh, are there uh, on vacation, and they specifically go there. And the reason they specifically go there is not because of me, thankfully, it, because they know there's a Greenville guy there. It's a beautiful I've area. I've actually too. had people say that to me That's more than great. once. So take that for what it's worth. I think it wor it's worth something. Um, but I've been there about 10 months. It's a small town, about 7,000 people. It's a heavily churched area, uh, which is difficult it difficult in the sense that we are a small PCA church. I read somewhere that about 80% of the churches in the PCA have 100 members or less. Um, we're much smaller than that even. Um, and as a result, uh, the challenge in the, ministerial, in the ministry there is really, other than the obvious things that I do every week, that is preach and teach, 
preach twice, teach Wednesday nights, um, is to figure out ways to reach out into a heavily church community where everybody's doing everything. They're doing the same things. Uh, they have food cupboards and churches have clothing closets and they do all those things that you I guess you would expect churches to be doing. Um, and while we could do that too, I don't know that that would benefit much since everybody else is doing it. And so the challenge uh, that my elders and I wrestle with is how do we minister to this community, which is by and large very churched. Now, with that said, it may be a heavily churched community, um, but but because it's in the Bible Belt, and I do think this is an influence, um, there's a lot of the social gospel, cultural Christianity uh, all around fellowship. And um, that creates even a greater challenge then to overcome that cultural mindset of what the gospel is from what the gospel is. And so numerous challenges, call them opportunities. Uh, one friend of mine correct me, regularly corrects me on that. When I say challenge, he says opportunities. They're opportunities. Um, and so seeking to grow the church first in godliness and in, in, in holiness and then in numbers. Um, one of the things we're trying to do in outreach is um, I'm getting plugged into the local newspaper, hopefully going to write an article once a week there. Um, my wife, I, I shared this with Zach at lunch, but um, I think I scared my wife half to death because I've invited the entire community of Newport to my house on the first Sunday of the month for a meal and conversation. And my wife almost had a heart attack when I told her that I did that. Um, I use social media to do it. Might as well. Everybody else is using it. I might as well use it. And um, so we're trying different things, I guess, things that I don't see the other churches in that area actually doing. Um, but it's a means to an end, of course. I want to feed that into the, to the local church where, uh, where families will sit under the gospel proclaimed, the preaching of God's word, and, and being ministered to by the congregation and, as well as the elders there. So it's a challenging area, Zach. I, you know, it's um, mentioned to you at lunch that, or maybe it wasn't at lunch, but it was on the way to lunch that God certainly must have a sense of humor because he took a Western New Yorker and put him in a mountain town in the South. Um, two strikes against me in Newport. One, I'm not from Newport. Very close-knit community. Um, and I'm from New York. But the Lord called me there anyway. And so we're looking for good things to happen, praying for good things to happen in that respect, to see the church grow and be useful, and to really be the, the church that the, the Lord Jesus Christ said we are. We're, we are salt and light. We're not to be salt. We are that. Now, what, how useful we are as we exercise that, that statement that the Lord made is the question. And so we're, we're laboring hard to bring light of the gospel to a community that's very churched, but perhaps um, not in a positive way. Very nice people. And that's one of the benefits of living in, a, in the Bible Belt or in, in, that, in that kind of a situation. But I think somewhere in there the gospel got lost um, for the sake of moral niceness, and they call that Christianity. 
and that, and it's a difficult thing. But luckily, when you're a Yankee, um, <laughs> you don't have much uh, niceness about you. So well, you point people to Christ. That's now. a stereotype. <laughs> um, not a fair one either, but that's okay. Yeah. I know he's kidding. It, yeah. You know, I mean, I have a New York Yankee license plate on the front of my car, and I don't take it off. Um, you know, that's who I am. I mean, I'm from New York. I can't change that. And um, so when people talk with me in town, in the community, they find out right away I'm not from there. All I, gotta, all I have to do is start talking. And it's obvious I'm not from there. Yeah. And so I just, if you're nice, you're kind, respectful, courteous, you, know, you can overcome those things. Um, and just listen. The town I'm in has some significant problems. and Opportunities. Uh, yes. Oper- well, I mean, when I say problems, I mean, these are problems. Yeah, um, yeah. Problems with the community. There's a lot of drug addiction, a lot of drug use in this small town. The opioid academic, uh, epidemic has certainly hit that area heavily. Um, meth is a big problem. And so we have a lot of uh, opportunities to minister there. There's a number of single parent situations, quite a few actually. Uh, again, another opportunity uh, to minister in a way maybe that the other churches aren't doing. I don't know. Um, the other thing I'm trying to accomplish there is to get together with the other pastors in town, informally anyway, and, you know, for a time of talk and converse, conversation and prayer, maybe we'll read a book together or things like that. But again, that's the churches are very disconnected in the community. They don't do a lot together. Everything seems to be done by themselves off doing their thing, and that's okay, I guess. But I'd like to see a little more togetherness um, rallying around a common cause, which is, of course, the gospel. Some more outward manifestations of the unity of the body of believers right. across right. denominational lines. Yep. Yep. And, and to give you an example, I mean, the church, where, our, where our church is currently located on Cosby Highway in Newport, within a mile uh, south is a Baptist church. Within a mile north is another Baptist church. Um, within a, a mile and a half east, no, west, is another Baptist church. I mean, I'm surrounded. We're surrounded by churches. You're immersed yeah, we're in Baptist church. Ah, very funny. <laughs> Sorry. What's well, okay? Bad. It's a Presbyterian podcast, so that you get away with that one. That um, was such a bad joke. But it, but it's just it's it's a really a true statement, and and to try to minister to a very heavily Baptist area without being coming coming across as you guys are. Well, here's another pun. Y'all love this one. You guys are all wet. <laughs> you guys are wrong. Um. But to try to come alongside and help and assist and equip one another, um, it's, it's a challenge, um, and especially when we're the only Presbyterian church. Now, there's, there is a PCUS church, PCUSA church in town. Um, but the, one of the advantages we have, however, in this town is that if, if people are looking for a Presbyterian church, a conservative Presbyterian church, uh, we're, the only, we're it for 45 miles in any direction. So that's a, that's a positive. People move into the area, they're looking for a Presbyterian church. There's not a lot of options other than, than ours. You're at the furthest western point in yes. your presbytery, too. Mm-hmm. So for presbytery, you and your elders are having to, to schlep it across across the state quite a bit, huh? Yeah, we are. Um, maybe we'll get presbytery at our church one, one month, one quarter, just to make my life a little easier. But you're right. Whenever there's presbytery, I, we're probably driving an hour and a half, two hours to somewhere. Um, so, it, yeah, it does make it a challenge. Um, technically, we're actually in Tennessee Valley Presbytery, but long story, the short version is when the church came into existence in 1985, they petitioned Western Carolina Presbytery to receive them. And I don't know how that all worked, but 
they did. And so they've been in Western Carolina Presbytery ever since. And um, so, but yeah, we're on the we're on the very edge, the furthest reaches of the Presbytery. That sounds pretty epic. The furthest reaches of the well, Presbytery. It's not a Star Forty-five Wars. Not minutes a, away. I'm not a Star Wars fan, so sorry, Doctor McGraw, but I'm not a Star Wars fan. Star Trek, yes. Star Wars, no. Now, as far as the area is concerned, you can't find a better, a more beautiful area of the country. Well, you probably could, but it's gorgeous. It is. You can't, in 360 degrees, you stand in one point in Newport and look in any direction, you're going to see the Smoky Mountains. Um, it is a gorgeous area. I have a wonderful home sitting on Cosby Creek that runs right through my backyard, and it's peaceful, it's relaxing, and, and the Lord's provided a big enough home so I can have 50 people in it on the first Sunday of the month my poor wife um so there's plenty of opportunities there it's just the hardest part of it is is overcoming i think at last count in the county which is about twenty-five thousand people there were 280 churches in the county Twenty-five thousand people. people there's 280 churches yep it's going to be less than 100 people a church. It's, yeah. On it's, average. Yeah, on sure. average. Yeah. I mean, and that's all walks of Christendom, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the funny part, funny, not ha-ha, funny, interesting, is right across the street from our church is a Roman Catholic church. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I actually threatened the elders to put up a big loudspeaker in the, in the, on our lawn and aim it over there. Yeah, that wouldn't end well. No, they actually got mad at us because of our bells. One year, <laughs> they got mad, got upset because of our bells. They were too loud and interrupting the mass. Oh well. Oh well. But oh, well, but right. but there are lots of churches, and because of that, it creates a great deal of. Um, it's a challenge, opportunity. So you know, Bill, I don't. I'm not always aware of who's listening to the podcast. I know you know that uh, quite well. What does worship look like on a typical Sunday or in a typical week? At Fellowship Presbyterian Church, what can the uninitiated expect walking through the doors of yep. your church? Well, we are a strongly confessional church. Um, at least I, I am a strongly confessional pastor. What does that mean? Uh, we up- uphold Westminster Confession Chapter 21, which is known as the regulative principle of worship. So we only worship in the way God has commanded, and we must worship the way God's commanded. And so our worship is uh, no frills, no gimmicks. Um, we are ordinary means of grace. Uh, which means that we we sing the hymns of the faith, and we have a corporate confession of faith. We pray, we read the word of God, we preach the word of God. There's a call to worship, of course. There's a benediction. We don't do puppet shows. We don't do skits. We don't. It's not. There's no gimmicks. Uh, we simply use the means that the, that God in His wisdom gave to the church to accomplish the redemption of His people. And let the Spirit be the Spirit and do what the Spirit's going to do through the, the ordinary means, ministering the sacraments. Right now we, we, do, we practice that we do the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, once a quarter. And I'm sorry, I take that back. We just changed it. Uh, we do it every other month. Uh, it used to be once a quarter. And so I was thankful that we were able to shift that to at least every other month. And Lord willing, we'll get to monthly uh, in the next year or two. But um, so very simple worship ordered by God, commanded by God. We, we, we seek to uh, implore, employ that in our worship. It's reverent. 
and it's, it's morning and evening, right? And we do on it morning, morning and evening on the Lord's Day. And we do have a Wednesday night. We have a Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting. It's probably more Bible study than prayer meeting right now. That's probably more my fault than anybody else's. Um, but we do have that midweek as well. So very traditional in that sense, if you like that word traditional. Um, so we're open. We're there, available. Anybody can come. Love to see anybody come. And and when somebody gets plugged into your church, one of the one of the ways that they're going to grow is 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 through the enlightening of their minds. Mm-hmm. That you're opening up the word for them. You're bringing them the word from God Himself mm-hmm. in His Word and 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 by His Spirit that they would grow in faith mm-hmm. and in godliness. So it's going to be a very instructive experience. If you're living in the Newport area, you can be assured that you'll go to Bill's church and you're going to learn some stuff. Um, I sure hope so. Yeah, at least that, that is the goal. It's the express aim of the church and of the pastor. Bill, I have one more question for you, and this has to do with this, this new outreach initiative, if you want to call it that, or just outreach practice you're hoping to introduce in June of, of opening up your home to the community once a month. Um, in, in my own life, uh, I, I have had such a deep appreciation for preaching, primarily because I was converted under the preaching of God's word, I don't know what particular Sunday it was. I don't. I don't have a an earth shattering um, uh, incident that I could that I could recite to you. But I know that it was through uh, attendance upon the ordinary means of grace, sitting under the preaching of God's word, that the Lord drew me to Himself. And so, I love preaching. Yep. <laughs> um, me too. And that's the case. That's the case for most of the men here. Um, now, what would drive me to do something like you you and Gwen are going to do, and that is to open up my home to uh, visitors once a month, would be that, for some reason, hospitality has played a big part of my own spiritual development. I suspect that such is the case for you. Why is it that you're drawn to a ministry of hospitality? What has the Lord done in your life? Who has ministered to you in this way that now you want to you wanna extend that to others? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I can't point to any one particular circumstance that I can say hospitality was that meaningful, that it altered my the, the course of my life. I know what happened. I know people were very hospitable to my wife and I and our younger, our early parts of our marriage and even throughout um, when I was in seminary uh, people would do that here for us and not merely just having them in their ours in their homes but people would send checks to the seminary for us uh, just out of the blue um, to help with the training and the work and paying the bills um, that's all acts of hospitality in different forms and ways we we desire to do this first let me just give a a short word of caution to pastors that may be listening think well this is a great idea i'm going to do that first make sure you're on board with your wife about it in other words there's something you're already doing maybe on a smaller scale uh, and work your way to it i mean i wanted to do it every week but that's me biting off more than i can chew usually um so make sure you guys are on board. Now, when I announced this, that I was doing it, I just did it because I knew my wife and I were already on board with these things anyway. We're very big on it. But we do it first out of obedience to God's commands. Uh, one of the qualifications for being an elder is that he's hospitable. Now, it's not a checkbox. Okay, I'm doing it now, so therefore I'm good. No, it's because hospitality is a picture of what exactly God the Father did for wayward sinners. 
he invited them into his living room, first through the courtroom of God's just of God as the just judge who declared me not guilty, not because of my righteousness, because I have none, but because of the righteousness of Christ that was given to me by faith alone. Once that happened, he then transported me into his living room, invited me in. I'm part of his family. I'm now his son, and I have all the benefits of that because of that relationship, all by grace, all unmerited, all undeserving. And so when we seek to do hospitality um, and reach this community, A, I don't see it happening very often. I don't see it much in my own church, something that grieves me, but I'm working to model. Sometimes things are better caught than taught. This may be one of them. Second, uh, we're doing it because that's the picture of the gospel, and to minister in a way that um, is, um, is simple and is uh, very informal, not threatening, um, one, of, one of the challenges small church pastors have, maybe even large church pastors, I guess all pastors have this challenge, is that once you begin talking with anybody in the community and they find out you're a pastor, the conversation changes. It, uh, sadly, it changes. Something happens. And it doesn't happen to the pastor, it happens to the person you're talking to. Walls go up, defense go, the defense mechanisms start kicking in, and the, conversation, the tone of the conversation can change. I almost never introduce myself as a pastor unless they ask me what I do for a living. That was me. Um, and so the hospitality gives people an opportunity to find out that while I may be a pastor of a church, I'm also a person. <laughs> and I'm a real person. And I have hurts and pains and sorrows myself just like they do, and it gives me a chance to get to know people uh, on that level and to interact with them and then follow up with them as they come again, I hope, and to let them know, I've been praying for you. I, you mentioned your son was sick, and I just want to know how he's doing, and just show interest in their lives. And when you do that, people begin to see that you, it's real, it's not forced, and it's not something you do just because you're a pastor. You actually genuinely care. And so as I've told my elders, one of the goals, one of the reasons we want the church to grow, and ought to be the only reason we want the church to grow, at fellowship is because we want the gospel to penetrate this community. That's what we want. And if we don't want that, what's the point? Let's just close. If we're just looking to pack the pews so we can pay our bills, then I would suggest our motives are wrong. Now, certainly we got to pay our bills. The Lord knows that. But our first goal is to advance his kingdom. And so we always pray with that, uh, with that in front of us. That's our motive. And so we're doing hospitality with that motive. How can I minister to this community? How can I minister to where they are? Chances are really good if I invite them to church, they're not going to come. Chances are really good if I invite them to church, they're already going to a church. Because or at least they think they're going to a church. Right, because <laughs> yeah. of the number of churches that are in the area. And so it's, it's just a different approach. Not on, it's not an odd approach. It's been done um, many times by many people. But I will admit it's a little radical. Um, but those who know me well know that that's not really outside of my comfort zone anyway. So my wife commented, if we have 50 people show up, you know, I think I said that already, repeating myself. But um, so we're doing it for, mainly because of the picture it presents. It's a picture of the gospel. It really is. And to invite a total stranger that you've never met in your life into your living room, in our day and age, people call that nuts. You know what I call it? Ministering the gospel. For God to invite 
sinners, reprehensible worms, unprofitable servants into his living room? That's nuts. But he did it because of his love for his people. And so that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to turn around, take that love he gave to us and give it to others, to minister to strangers in the community, minister in any way you can, listen to their hurts, their pains, their sorrows, their successes, and um, see what the Lord does with it. If he blesses it, wonderful. It's up to him. I mean, it's his work. And if he chooses to bless it, great. And if he chooses not to, that's great too. And do you have folks in the church who are going to be coming alongside of you? And yeah, Glenn great question. A, yep. do crowd control, but B, yeah, yeah. to be involved in this kind of ministry. No bouncers, I promise. There'll be no bouncers. I don't think we're going to have that. Um, <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. Um, yeah, we have we have one lady in the church, um, really wonderful story of her, but the short version is she hadn't darkened the door of the church in 30 years. Pastor's daughter who found fellowship after attending two other churches in town, very dissatisfied, came one Sunday, uh, liked what she heard, met with me, wanted to see, in her words, wanted to see if I was a real pastor. That's what she said. That I, seminary doesn't prepare you for those kinds of questions, frankly. <laughs> Are you a real pastor? What's that look like? Well, anyway, so she's volunteered to help. Um, we've been able to minister her in many different ways, and it's been a great privilege. And um, so she's jumped in, said she'd be there to help. And I, and I trust that other members of the church will also as well um, want to be involved. But again, as I said earlier, I, hospitality in that area is is really a strange thing. People are very private and closed off, and especially if you're an outsider. They're suspicious. And so um, hopefully as we model it and show it and demonstrate it and keep at it, because the first month it may not turn out to be anything, but it doesn't mean you quit. You keep going, you keep trying, keep different a approaches in front of you and, and try those as well. Um, hopefully that'll, it'll, it'll, it'll light a fire under the congregation to say, hey, you know what, this is actually a, this is actually a great thing. And, um, and duplicatable. It, it Anyone is. can do it. Anybody Anyone can, can open do it. Their home That's right. And cook a meal. Yep. yep. I mean, it takes a little bit of work. But, sure. I, but it's 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 not like it, it's not like leading a Bible study. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be anything right. glorious. But I tell my, my wife and I talk about this quite often, and I and we say, look, you know, hospitality doesn't mean a seven course meal. Hospitality means you open your house, you're welcoming, you're giving, and you know, throw a big pot of some good soup on the stove, and make some make a bunch of grilled cheese grilled cheese sandwiches, and 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 pass out paper plates, and people can serve themselves, and and sit around in a room in a group and just talk about whatever. That's the hospitality. That's it. It doesn't have to be phenomenal. It just has to be there, open, and 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 threatening a little bit, and but transparent. And so. That's what our intentions are. We're, we're praying. I'm praying. I'm sure my wife's praying that we, that the Lord would bless the, the efforts, um, and promoting it on social media. So those who listen to this and use Facebook, um, you probably haven't seen it ever because I've learned how to use Facebook in a more intelligent, structured way. And I'm able to target, as it were. I don't know that's not a good word, target. But I've been able to able focus. To limit the yeah, I've been able to focus uh, my announcements to people who live in the Newport area. There's no sense of someone in California seeing it. Unless you want to come, you're welcome. <laughs> Fly on out and come on in. But uh, chances are good you're not coming. Um, but I'm more concerned with the, my neighbors. 
And and as I've told my congregation and maybe tell the listeners as well, you know, one of the things the Lord did when he gave you your home and placed you in your neighborhood, none of that was by accident. It was all by his providence. Why? So you could live in a really nice neighborhood? Perhaps. But I guarantee you the reason, one of the big reasons why you're there is because you have neighbors who don't know the Lord. And you may be the only light that they'll ever have in their life to the gospel. So use your home and your family with the neighbors in that way. Start that way. Walk across the street and invite them over to your house for dinner. Or coffee and a dessert. Or whatever. (laughs) But do something like that because that's what the Lord's got you in that community for. He may be there for other reasons, but that's certainly one of them. And so take advantage of that. It's a great way to show people that Christians aren't strange people. They're not strange. We're people. Um, But we have a great message, one of hope and peace and comfort. So use that um, to the glory of God. So we prayed that that we could use our home that we've been given by the Lord. It's a beautiful house um, to his glory. And this is one of the ways we're trying to do it. Praise the Lord, Bill. I think that's as good a note as any to close our conversation, a note of hospitality and reconciliation between God and man, and of the ministry that the Lord has entrusted to your care there in Newport, along with the elders that he's given you. I pray the Lord would prosper Fellowship Presbyterian Church and continue to build it and continue well, me, to bless you and Gwen. Yeah, not is, to, not, to jump, not to jump over you as the host. Um, I'll exercise previous host privilege. Uh, <laughs> if, is there such a thing? Well, there is now. Um, just as some things to pray for for those who are listening, um, and, and I would really covet your prayers. Um, pray for perseverance for me as a pastor. Um, uh, just pray that, that the Lord would continue to uphold my wife and me, both in our marriage and in the ministry. Um, for those who are in the ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to elaborate any more than that. Just pray for sustaining grace. Uh, pray for growth of the church, both numerically and uh, and spiritually, but more importantly, spiritually. And, and pray that the Lord would, would use this congregation, this church, that he, he's blessed in many ways, with a beautiful building and a beautiful property, but he would use it to his glory in this community. That's why it's there. It's there for no other reason that we would be salt and light in a, in, a, in a community that so desperately, desperately needs to hear the gospel. And if you pray for those things, and, and we'll see what our sovereign God is pleased to do uh, as a result. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Glad to do it. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.